Hello and welcome to When in Doubt Pixie. I'm one of your hosts, Sophie Lee. And I'm Lindsay Jones. Every episode, Lindsay and I come up with a question with multiple answer choices and then we debate and clown, etc. our way through the episode and eventually come up with a verdict, which you can then offer your opinion on. This week, Lindsay, what is our question? The question this week, Sophie, is what's the worst physical trapping of modern femininity? Yeah. Right? And we do have to specify physical because obviously the mental trappings of, you know, toxic masculinity and patriarchy. They are eternal or, well, hopefully not eternal, but they are like entrenched. Pervasive. Yes, exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, So, Lindsay, why did we pick this topic? You know, you and I are both like women, right? Yeah. And we're both American. So that means that we both grew up in this kind of patriarchy soup. But, you know, and not not to get all Judith Butler on everybody, but what femininity is, the way that we were taught it, is kind of performing and, like, presenting in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. It's considered feminine to wear a dress, but you don't think of, like, ovaries as feminine. They're female, but not feminine. You dig? Yeah, yeah. Feminine is more about the social performance. Yeah. All right. So what are our answer choices, Lindsay? So our answer choices this week are A, makeup, B, high heels, C, lingerie, and D, hairlessness. Usually we present our answer choices in some kind of like chronological order, but these ones are all just kind of thrown together. Yeah, because the patriarchy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so like, um, I guess, so we're going to go through... Uh, obviously, every episode we go through and we talk about these things. We uh, So we're going to kind of go through the history of how each of these choices became sort of wrapped in modern femininity. And for the sake of this episode, then because Lindsay and I were both reared in the U.S., so we're going to talk about in an American context. Obviously, some of it may have implications outside of the U.S., but, you know, just so we don't have people in our comments being like, you... You're so America-centric. Yeah, because we live here. Yeah, of course. I mean, so like, as we talked about earlier, like if if femininity is just a social performance based on so- social, you know, assignments of value, mm-hmm. then of course we can only talk about femininity in the U.S. context because that's where we grew up, you know? Yeah, that's as we experienced them. Okay. Yeah, okay. Option one is what, Lindsay? It was makeup. Option A. Answer choice A is makeup. Yeah, well, so, okay, so let's get into the some of the history behind makeup. Obviously, it's been around for a long time, right? Right. Basically, since humans have been around, humans have been smearing stuff on their face. I mean, so there's different approaches, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, ancient Egyptians were like, all right, if I line my eyes, I will look formidable. Yes. So that could be, you know, one aspect of makeup. But then you had, like, medieval peasants who were like, if I put powder on my face I'll look like I have time to hang around indoors instead of being a laborer so maybe I'll look richer yes or if you put some lip rouge on maybe you look healthier yeah lip rouge or blush or like all of that stuff um well blush is for prostitutes Sophie well back in the day what I'm saying is back in the day like maybe way before because um I was funnily enough Makeup, well, the thing is, makeup wasn't always, like, it wasn't always gendered, right? Um, yeah. It's pretty much always, I mean, as far as our research could tell, like, it's pretty much always been uh, a way to kind of distinguish yourself as kind of wealthier, you know, or to kind of cover up any of the, like, impurities or whatever, or a- a- adapt, you know, to be more fashionable. Yeah. 
Well, it could, so it can make you seem health or wealthier, but it can also make you seem healthier, right? Right. Cover up your like pox scars or whatever. Exactly, exactly. Which is actually what a lot of people used it for. But then um, it didn't used to be a gender because like a lot of times men were using makeup for the same reasons that women use makeup, which is to white to make your skin paler, to look richer, to indicate class. Um, like so skin whiteners in particular are very, very common. Um, they were super popular as, among men in like as early as ancient Rome. They were super popular in like Elizabeth, like Elizabethan England. Like those guys like to smear like this like lead based white face paint on their faces. That arsenic based stuff. Pro tip: Don't do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> arsenic is bad for you, kids. Yeah, and lead too. Don't do the thing. Don't do the mm-hmm. thing. Okay, so sorry. Go on with more recent history. Yeah. So okay. So that's like kind of makeup's always been around. But you're going to find a lot of stuff in the kind of U.S. modern culture Mm kind of hinges around the 20th century and the World Wars. Yep. So around the beginning of the 20th century, makeup wasn't that popular. We were kind of coming off of, you know, Mm -hmm. Victorian sensibilities, especially America was founded on Puritanism. Yeah. So it was all about morality and not being vain. Mm -hmm. But as far as looking attractive to a man... A really religious Puritan man doesn't want you to be vain about your looks, right? Yeah. So to conversely, to be attractive to them, you know, you needed to be modest. Yeah. Yeah. So like people at that time in the U.S. were who were wearing makeup were basically rich people and prostitutes. Yep. Woo. Which is the power couple of the century, really. Honestly. So, you know, people were still using whitening powders to look more wealthy, lip rouge to look more healthy, lash darkeners, that kind of stuff. But not blush, because as I mentioned, blush was for prostitutes. You have to hide your fading bloom and all of that. Yeah, all that. Or maybe it would make you look like you had tuberculosis. One way or the other, it's not what you wanted. Nope. Interestingly, kind of the rise of more showy makeup in the U.S. was, starting around the 1910s, the ballet became, like, hugely popular in Europe. Like, the Russian ballet started doing tours outside Mm -hmm. of Russia. That became really, you know a la mode as a way to flaunt your wealth and culture to go see the ballet right when uh imperial russia stopped being a thing (laughs) yeah that sure is true (laughs) yep and as you know ballerinas have to wear really heavy stage makeup really dramatic stage makeup Mm -hmm. in like yellows and crimsons and stuff Mm -hmm. well because you can't because the rich people in their boxes and their boxes at the opera house you can't see them you can't see their faces so it has to really pop exactly yeah and Same thing with film, which is, I think, is the next thing that you're going to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah, it started with ballet. People were like, oh, well, ballet is cultured. I should also wear some makeup that's inspired by it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the next thing that happened in the 20s and 30s is that the American film industry took off. And stage makeup, again, is a really important part of making films. Yep. And so, like, a bunch of famous cosmetic like companies were started in the 1930s as a result of the film industry. Like mascara was invented in the 1920s and 30s mm-hmm. specifically for use in film. Yep. And uh, one of the very first like makeup shops in LA, so it started, it was a stage makeup place and women would just come in and be like, I'm a housewife anyway. I'm here to pick up my stage makeup for daily wear. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's where it started. Yep. Which is pretty interesting. <laughs> How so? Well, so it all, you know, it all started like that. People were into it. Then World War II hits, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of restrictions as there were for kind of everything in World War II. Right. Because a lot of makeup used stuff like 
alcohol and really important chemicals to the war effort in makeup. So they had to restrict a lot of the makeup. Yeah. So it was like a huge black market thing to try to get your hands on makeup during World War II. That's really interesting because, of course, when we think of the 1940s, then we think of like that like classic starlet look, you know, with the classic the red lipstick and stuff like that. So, OK, now I know that Peggy Carter was totally rocking some black market makeup. Uh-huh. Uh, to be fair. Cool. Cool. You know, maybe she smuggled it from Europe where the, mm-hmm. you know, there were slightly different restrictions. Probably it's black market, though. She's cool. Yeah. Well, so then after World War II, like as World War II was ongoing, the makeup companies were like, oh, my God, once this war is over, it's going to be huge for us. And it mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Giant, giant boom in makeup po- post-World War II. Yep. And like you said, you associate the 40s so much with the starlets. And that's because pinup girls also wore that really classic like red lip, dark eyeliner, sharp mm-hmm. eyebrows, because eyebrow pencils were also huge at the time. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, pinup girls and Hollywood starlets all really, once World War II was over, the general masses were like, all right, I, I'm ready to incorporate this into my daily life, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's gone through ups and downs since then. Trends have changed. This late 60s happened, and then all the feminists didn't want to wear makeup, and then the 80s happened, and in order to lean in and have a place at the table, the feminists needed to wear makeup to work and whatever. And lip liner and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that 90s lip liner. So that's kind of like a brief history of makeup in the United States. So what do you think about makeup in your life? I mean, has there ever been a time where you felt either ashamed of not wearing makeup or pressured into wearing it? Oh, God. Yeah, both. I feel like it's really hard to not have both of those experiences. You know, like when you don't know how to put on makeup, then you're like ashamed because you're like all of these girls around me, like they look so pretty. How do they have such perfect skin? They're wearing foundation. It's because yeah, they're wearing that, foundation. Yeah, that is how. It's like, and, and concealer. So it's like, how do they have such perfect skin? It's so smooth. Like they're like, their blush is done so well. Like their lipstick is on point and like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Femininity, femininity, or, f- you know, performing femininity. And so you're just like, oh man, I'm ashamed that I don't know how to do it. So you, then you have to hit up your mom or your aunt or like your YouTube cousin. tutorials. YouTube tutorials. Yeah. If you, if you have access to the internet, which some people, which some people in our, these days, kids are like, what do you mean you don't have access to the internet? We... We lived through that, okay? Yeah, back in the day. We went to school both ways, in the snow, etc. Yeah, uphill. And then, so then it's like, you're ashamed because you don't know how to use it. And then you feel pressure to use it because, again, like, the girls, the people who use it, they look so beautiful. It's like screaming at you from, like, every single freaking place. Like, every every time you walk out your door, there's some makeup ad. Or every time you turn on the TV, there's an, an ad for makeup, for, like, smooth skin and, like luscious lips and like popping eyes and all of that anti-aging everything oh one of these days i'll have all you guys will hear my rant about the whole culture of youth in the states but uh that Mm. yes it's i take issue with it people do i mean makeup does especially in the entertainment industry like for some sectors of like life and the economy then obviously it's very important like you want to have makeup for filming and stuff like that because you want to kind of, it's a way of being able to kind of present your best self, you know? Mm-hmm. And people have been able to do some really, really amazing things with makeup and like make like painting faces and stuff like that. There's, it's a real art. It just, as a trapping of femininity. Yeah, that's the thing. I hate the double standard of it, which is what makes it a trapping of femininity. Like, for example, you know, one of the first things I noticed about this as I was growing up. Um, It's when I had gotten into YouTube and all of the male YouTubers didn't ever wear makeup and all of the female YouTubers always wore makeup, even if they weren't makeup channels. The double standard is seriously real. I mean, it's also not just on YouTube, but just in general in daily life, normally guys 
never wear makeup. Well, so that is the thing. It is becoming more of a thing now. Because mm-hmm. we mentioned men used to wear makeup, like cosmetics. Wanting to look richer than you are was mm-hmm. a non-gendered thing in the past. Yep. Now makeup is kind of used for other things, but more and more now, just in the past couple years, you know, mm-hmm. men are more comfortable using foundation to even out blotchy skin tones, for example. Yes, that's but true. But anything, anything more overt than that is still labeled as very feminine. Patriarchy. Mm-hmm. It cuts both ways, fellas. Makeup is very fun to do. It is. Once you've escaped from th- feeling that you have an obligation to wear it. Yeah. It's fun to do just for yourself or fun, you know, to glam up. So yeah. y'all, y'all men are missing out on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's that whole thing, right? Where it's like, I mean, it's, you're wearing art on your face. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. It, it's a cool thing. Again, it's that whole thing where I think, and I think this applies to a lot of the trappings of femininity where it's just like, once you, once you divorce the thing from femininity or from like the obligation to perform it, then it's mm-hmm. like, it's a, it's great. It's great. It's fashionable, you know, different strokes for different folks, quite literally in this case, brush strokes and stuff, but like, oh, yeah. it's, um, it's that whole thing. But, but because it's, it's so attached to femininity, it becomes a burden. Yeah. You know, anything will become a chore once it becomes your job. Yes. Once there's an expectation that you have to do it. You know, it's over. I feel like the cycle of makeup definitely swings the pendulum between like, you know, dramatic and heavy and then light and simple, right? Yep. In a vague sense. So I think right now we're in a dark and heavy thing where like fake lashes are considered daily wear. That sucks. Do you know how long it takes to put on those things? I also don't wear makeup daily, but it's, uh, it'll just, it'll be nice to not have to see it too when I go out and I see all these people in like a full face with contour and I'm like, (sighs) yeah. Shit takes time. Even if you're good at it, it's just like that, that full face takes time uh, and I don't have it. So me either. I'd rather be sleeping. Thank you very much. Okay. So shall we move on to the next one? High heels? Let's. Okay. So option B is high heels. High heels have kind of a fun history as it turns out. When you Google where do high heels come from? It's mm-hmm. always like the surprising, did you know men used to wear high heels? It's like, yes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it actually, actually, actually started in Persia mm-hmm. because if you wear high heels when you're sitting on a horse, like in a saddle on a horse, it helps you from falling out as you're trying to stand up and shoot people with a bow and arrow. Yep. Which is why cowboy boots also have a chunky heel. It's just yep. easier to catch on a stirrup. Yep. So yeah, and then some Persian emissaries came to Europe in you know the 14 or 1500s or something, and then the uh, European high heel was born. They saw the light. Uh-huh. So basically, this was mostly worn by men because, you know, it came from a big, strong army in Persia. Obviously, it was a masculine fashion. Yeah. And then the other thing that's kind of fun because this sort of blends in, which is like we have high heels and then we have like sort of platform shoes, which are popular, you know, all over the place among m- most sexes. Like um, in medieval Europe, you see them in Japan where they where basically they raised you so that you can walk up above like the muck and the garbage on the street, you know? Yes. And to, like, keep your clothes from getting dirty and all of that kind of stuff. So, like, that's that's popular, like, in both Asia and Europe. And mm-hmm. um, so, which is pretty cool. And so then, you know, so you, this is basically, those two have a love child and then you have wedges, essentially. Yeah. But you know the fun <laughs> thing about those kind of platform anti-garbage mm-hmm. shoes? Yeah. Is that... Venetian courtesans specifically, like they did with everything, they took them to extra extreme levels. Bless. 
So you had those kind of platform shoes, like you said, everywhere. They would range from like three inches to maybe like six inches, maybe. Venetian courtesans would wear ones that were like more than three feet tall. Ah, yes, the stilts. And they would like either have their manservants or they would hire nobles to like, you know, hold their hands and assist them walking in these three feet tall heels. That's freaking hilarious. I know. I'm like, what would we do without the Venetian courtesans, you know? But, you know, there's a reason that courtesans are the ones who wore such outrageous shoes. Mm -hmm. And it's because, like I said, high heels were kind of a more masculine fashion. Mm -hmm. And it was only certain women that could be so daring as to wear men's clothing, you know? Yes. High heels were seen as masculine because they made you taller, which is a masculine trait, you know? It makes you more imposing. Right. Here's a fun fact, which is that like the fate, like there's a phrase, um, it's called, it's the phrase well-heeled, which mm. is like, I want to say during like the 18th century, mm-hmm. the phrase well-heeled, it basically means like, a, like, it basically means like genteel, like you're from like a well, like you're from a, uh, well-to-do family. Exactly. You're from a well-to-do family. Right. Which is kind of cool. Another thing is that like, um, just a really fun random fact about just 18th century fashion, which in itself is a trip. Right. But like one of the another reason that men would wear high heels, like they, they'd wear like heeled shoes mm-hmm. um, is because it showed off their it showed off their calves. It showed off their calf muscles and, and like, muscles are masculine. Yeah. And, you know, so like they would say like, you know, like Alexander Hamilton was known for having a like he was having known for having a well turned like a well turned leg. Like he had mm. very like shapely legs. Um, which of course the em- and it was the emphasis was brought up by these like lovely high heeled shoes that they wore. Yeah, so, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So you know how um, Christian Louboutin's shoes all have red, you know, soles. Mm-hmm. So I had heard the origin story of that was that it was based off of Parisian prostitutes who walked around in the fish district and all of the blood from all the guts like stained the bottom of their shoes red. Mm-hmm. But. And remind me, which Louis was the Sun King, 14 or 16? I want to say it was 14. Well, the Louis, who I think, Louis the 14th, the Sun King, he, he, he wore a lot of high heels and he always had his sold, the undersides, in red and he would only mm-hmm. let his inner circle also have red undersides. So it was like mm-hmm. a sign that you were in with the king. Oh. So that's pretty interesting. There's all sorts of fun things. But yeah, men, high heels definitely more of a thing it was definitely more a masculine thing up until like the enlightenment maybe yeah with the enlightenment the men were all having all these philosophical discussions about democracy and you know the rights that god gave men Mm -hmm. one of the articles i read specifically said before this point there was definitely more of a division along class lines there was the rich there was all kinds of legislation about how high different nobles could wear their shoes based on the rank of their nobility. Yep. But with the Enlightenment, with the advent of democracy, now that they didn't want to divide themselves by class, instead it was men are creatures of reason, all equal to one another in the eyes of God, and women are the other. Therefore, they must be frivolous if we are reasonable. There's a whole, there's a whole really interesting, and um, we'll link this in the show notes. But there's a whole really, in- some really interesting um, stuff about the whole how men's fashion, like around the like the period of the French Revolution, men's fashion just got boring all at once. Yep, just crystallized. 
previous to like in the 1700s, right? Then men, they were wearing high heels. They were rocking makeup. They, they were had like, those hats with the huge feathers. Those started yeah, with men. Yeah, they were wearing great hats. They, were, they, they had like fantastic wigs. They were doing crazy things with their hair. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, and then the French Revolution happened. And then the French, you know, being all anti-elitist and everything like that, they were like, no, we're going to dress somberly and in suits and we're it's all going to be this like standardized uniform of dress and it's all going to be dark colors and boring and terrible and and no high heels of course screw that but of course those silly women we could never hold them to such a standard because their little brains don't understand how to be serious so they're allowed to keep silly things like wigs and high heels and makeup Well, so that's a bit of history, but then moving into more modern history, you will not be surprised to hear that world war, the world wars had a huge effect on high heels. You know, world war one, we hadn't really moved past it. High heels had only kind of come back into being a thing in like the 1860s or seventies. And even then, eh, by world war two, they were definitely more popular. And then in world war two, there were all of those gorgeous, gorgeous, sexy pinup girls. Yep. And what were the pinup girls wearing? Makeup and high heels. Yep. And then high heels forevermore connected with female sexuality, where, again, as before, they were a sign of masculine dominance. Mm -hmm. Now, forevermore, female sexuality. How do you feel about high heels? They hurt. They hurt. It's true. Well, okay. I like a nice, like, one, like a nice, like a short heel, you know, like. Yeah, um, like a kitten heel. Something that's short and stable for my daily wear mm-hmm. um, when I do wear heels at all because uh, I'm one of those people who like doesn't actually like flat shoes that much because also because I'm short so yeah. I need all the help I can get um, and high heels do provide me that but at what cost right well so that's the other weird thing it's like I, I have big feet like I have wide feet so most high heels don't fit me well so they're painful because I know there's a lot of women who wear heels every day and, you know, obviously, if you wear them for 12 hours, you're going to have a bad time. But there are people who are like, well, you know, I just wear them to work. Like, it's fine. They they are as comfortable as pretty much any other shoe. Mm-hmm. And that works if the high heels fit you. But this all ties into fast fashion and off the rack stuff. But, like, pretty much none of my heels ever fit me. So it's just extra uncomfortable. Again, like, where it's like, they're fun to wear because they make you look great. Your ass looks great. Your legs look great. I, I know that people claim that high heels really do help all your leg muscles, but I've never noticed that. I've noticed it makes your legs look longer, which is very sexy. Yes. But other than that, I haven't noticed. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about them working. I just know that they make everything look nice and, like, you can – sometimes they can sort of give you, like, this empowered feeling, like you feel authoritative or whatever. You know, you feel like you need business. You feel tall and masculine. Yeah. That's the Persian roots coming through. That's what it is, I guess. Um, so they're fun to mess around with. They like, again, they, they, they can help you look great, but like, again, kind of, but then you have to sort of question, it's like, well, why do I have to look great? And the answer is patriarchy. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I have to say about high heels. What about you? You know, you should never actually wear heels to go clubbing, but that's what they teach you, right? Because you're supposed to be sexy when you're going clubbing. But if you go and dance for hours in heels, it's such a mistake. It is. It's so bad. And I have made that mistake. Yeah. And it was rough. And by the end of the night, I just had to walk in my sock feet down the road, you know, because I was like, I can't wear these. Yeah. Uh, You know, they sell flats that are like specifically, they're specifically designed to fold up small into your purse. Oh, for just such an occasion. For just such an occasion, because they're just like, we know. 
we know that like you need to walk in like being all like sexy and stuff like that but then at the end of the night they're like you once you're not worried about being sexy anymore you can wear flats (laughs) that's nice of them yeah just tap out just do it and you know what though i i hate that high high heels are the fashion because like you said i like a low heel is good you know it does what it needs to do but it's kind of hard to find them in like modern fashions it is a lot of the ones you see are definitely geared towards older women yeah if i had time then maybe i would add custom cobbler to like my like long list of hobbies but alas uh if you ever get time that could be the next one you knock off don't tempt me (laughs) okay so shall we move on to option c yes what is option c Lindsay? option c is lingerie and generally you know women's undergarments listen to our shapewear episode Please do. You'll learn a lot. We did an entire episode in depth about four specific types of women's shapewear for busts. So yep. you'll learn a Boob lot. Boob support. Boob support. So to summarize a little bit of what went on in that episode, mm-hmm. support wear obviously has been around for a long time. As long as women have been wearing clothes, they've been trying yep. to handle their boobs. Boobs are rough, man. They are. And you know, you got to handle them. Yep. A lot of the way they were handled in kind of the early days of humanity was to flatten the bust because, you know, that's an easy way to keep them under control. And then there was the chemise that was introduced kind of, what, in the Middle Ages? Like before. The name chemise came out later, but like the idea of just wearing a simple dress under your real clothes to keep your real clothes clean from your dirty body, (laughs) that's been around a long time. Exactly, because people didn't shower as much back then as they do now. Of course, and, you know, clothes are expensive. You don't want to get them all smelly. Yep, chemises... Uh, they were also called smocks or undergowns or shifts. Mm-hmm. Basically the same thing. Most of them, fun fact, were made from linen, which is like this great fabric. It wicks away the moisture from your body. It breathes like nobody's business. It's so great. But shifts are unisex. Obviously, everybody wanted to keep their clothes clean, not just women. So eventually, female-specific support where it did come about stays and corsets. Listen to our shapewear episode. It's episode two. Go listen to it. But I'm going to talk about corsets generally. Um, but if you listen to episode two, you will learn about all the specifics. Mm-hmm. But corsets kind of stand out from earlier kind of undergarments in that they they weren't just used to hold everything together, even though they were. They were also used specifically to create a shape, mm-hmm. which is where the male gaze comes in. Ah, yes. As with many of our other choices here, corsets were around until World War One. Mm-hmm. Because World War One imposed rations on the American public, and they wanted to use less steel for women's undergarments. Yeah, because women don't matter. They sure don't. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was created instead was, you know, what we know as the bra, the brazier. Yeah. Now, of course, the bra has also undergone a lot of style changes over the years. Like when it first came about, mono boobs were really in as the shape because that's what corsets, you know, created. Mm-hmm. And then with the 20s, everybody wanted to wear those flapper dresses. So the shape was kind of this flat chested androgynous look that you could wear with a slip. And then coming into World War II, what should we get but sexy, sexy pinup models with huge curves with push-up bras? Honk, honk. Honk, honk. (laughs) It was the advent of underwire and push-ups, which happened around the same time, which was around the 1940s. So these really sexy, curvy pinup girls, Mm -hmm. you know, set the standard at that point. Yes. And then, again, it goes back and forth. Then in the 70s, it was cool. It was in to be flat and androgynous again. Mm-hmm. And then kind of around the 80s, 90s, it came back the other way. And then, of course, like we as a, as a culture still have a big fascination with it in that 
you know, the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show yeah. is a huge event yep. every year. And you'll notice when you see pictures of underwear models, you'll notice the trend right now is definitely thin, but with big boobs. So we're right now we're in a best of both worlds situation for the male gaze. Right, because that's... That's how fat works. Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> so generally the fashion has been thin with big boobs for a little while. Uh-huh. But more specifically in the last couple of years, it's been thin, boobs, however, preferably big, but and then a huge butt. Huge butt. Because that's what being thick is. And again, that's not how fat works. No. Nope. But whatever. How are you going to ask for a girl with a big butt but no belly? That's not how fat works. Ah, fun, fun, fun stuff. Oh, by the way, lingerie comes from the French word for linen. Mm-hmm. But don't you just wish that lingerie was made out of linen? It would be so nice. And, I mean, you think of all the different kinds of lingerie, and you definitely think male gaze, right? Oh, yeah. At least definitely w- the way that it is now, right? The whole underwear, sexy underwear, because, you know, I mean, if you look at some of the patents um, for bras, like, back in the very, very early days, then it was, like, it was kind of more catered towards women, where it's because it's, like, it was still at a point where, like, that stuff was not supposed to be seen. And Mm -hmm. so you're, like, oh, you know, like, I mean, I want it to be, like, you know, like, it's catered towards women, so it's, like, it's talking about function and, like, how it's, like, it's going to keep your girls under control and everything Well, to an extent, but it's still also focused on presenting a pleasing shape to your husband. That's very fair. It wasn't that the, you know, the fabric itself didn't have to be sexy like maybe people want it to be now, Mm -hmm. but you still, the shape on the outside, you want those pointy boobs or you want the pushed up boobs or whatever. You want what you want whatever shape is in vogue for men to look at. That's you know? very true. So that's gross. And then think of the thong generally. So if the function of underwear is to keep your bodily fluids, like your butt smell, and then whatever's going on from your vagina mm-hmm. to get into your pants yes. or skirt. Yes. To keep them clean. Yes. Then think about a thong. What is a thong doing for you? Zilch. Like nothing. Nothing. People can't wear pads. When they're on, like, when they're wearing thongs because literally a thong doesn't have enough fabric for the pad to stick to. Yep. That, like, a thong to me is the epitome of catering to the gaze at the expense of the actual function. That's very fair. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Lindsay, what are your thoughts on bras and underwear and lingerie? Lingerie. Lingerie. Bras and underwear, you know, as opposed to makeup or high heels, Mm -hmm. they serve a functional purpose. Yeah. Which in a way makes these kind of the saddest of it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you don't want to wear makeup, you know, you don't. Mm-hmm. You might, you have to face, you know, whatever societal backlash you have to, but mm-hmm. you don't have to wear it. Same with high heels. But like bras and underwear, we did talk about this in episode two, so you should definitely listen to it. Mm-hmm. But like, I can't go braless. Mm-hmm. I need support. Yep. And I can't go without underwear because I don't want to have to wash my pair of pa- every pair of pants after one use, you know? Yep. So I need them, but then as I'm trying to shop for them as a woman, it can be pretty fraught. Yeah. You know? So, like, obviously, you, you'll you always have Walmart. Walmart's got your back. They don't have the money to, like, have a huge... <laughs> they don't care. They don't give a shit. No. It's great. So that's nice if you're just buying packs of, like, bikini or whatever, bikini mm-hmm. cuts. But, like, if you go into a Victoria's Secret, oh, my God, you know? It's over. Yeah. And like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie because I'm, I'm kind of tampon phobic. So it's like, honestly, a lot of my underwear decision making is, can I fit a pad on this? Like, I'm not even lying. It's a serious concern. And like, 
that this is a whole other thing about femininity is that people are so afraid of talking about menstruation, but whatever, Mm -hmm. like it's a natural bodily process that isn't taken into consideration when making products for women, which is stupid, right? Yeah. Like everybody with the uterus will have to go through it at some point in their lives. So like, why, why are we all acting like it doesn't exist? It's not. In case any of our listeners are postmenopausal women, we, we, we mean you too. Like you, you've, you've been there. (laughs) You've been there. You know, you know, it's an important consideration. It's very silly. (sighs) Yep. But then at the same time, Mm -hmm. I get it. Underwear is very sexy. It's the same thing with like heels and makeup, right? I'm like, dang, a beat face looks great. You look so sexy with that eyeliner. Or wow, those heels make your butt look amazing. Or they make your legs look so long. Or, you know, it makes you walk so sexily or whatever. So it's the same thing with lingerie. I'm like, okay, yeah. Lingerie can be totally sexy. Mm -hmm. But... It's weird that women feel the need. There's some women that feel the need to, that, you know, a thong is daily wear. Yeah. Where I'm like, you might as well just not wear anything. Yep. Go commando. It's better for I you. I guess there, there is a bit thongs do as far as, like, vaginal discharge, but, like, eh. No, no, no. But, like, thongs, like, so often, like, they're, like, the, the materials that they're made of, like, they're not very, like, water wicking anyway. Like, they're made of mesh and, like, yeah. spandex and all of that stuff. Like, I mean, that's the other thing about women's underwear. You mm. cannot avoid the catering to the male gaze like if i go to dillard's to get a bra it's like how hard is it to find one that doesn't have lace or whatever some kind of carrying on i just want a bra i don't want glitter i don't want bows i don't want lace i just want something to hold my boobs up people keep insisting on putting lace in the wrong places it's like some places i'm just like if you hem in all your lace and stuff like that then it's fine but like people keep trying to put it on the back strap why just put it on the bottom of the cup literally it's the worst it's the worst yeah but also i mean it's it's that whole thing right it's like it's it's i think maybe people have a little bit tiny bit more leeway on this in terms of like at least during daily life and like normally this stuff is still supposed to be largely unseen like mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be flashing your underwear in public right for the most part in polite yeah society. no I, I think you're good to say that you know so like you can still kind of get away with being like lazy or not or wearing it or not like there's not serious generally not serious social consequences but at the same time it's kind of it's like it's again it's that expectation that like when you are shopping for underwear then of course then you want to cater to the male gaze or you want to like have again it's that whole for it's that whole form over function thing where it's like well Mm -hmm. of course you of course you want to like wear sexy things and like do like that and then like not a single thought is given to like oh what does a person need to get her through her day yeah like ugh. Like, it really does get such a weird reaction from people if you say, yeah, I buy my underwear at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean? I just need underwear. When I need special occasion underwear, if I want to dress up for a significant other, of course I can go to a lingerie shop and get some, you know, fancy underwear Mm -hmm. for showing off. But, like, as far as just getting through my day, why is there such an adverse reaction to not getting specific high-end fancy male gazy underwear, you know? Yep. Now that being said, um, I'm a firm proponent of making of making investments in like very high quality bras, so, which are not Walmart bras. So just just, so, just putting that out there, boob havers out there, please invest in quality bras. They will they will be so much better for your back. All right. Cool. Shall we move on? Let's do it. What is option D? Option D. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. I'm leaning close to the mic and and maybe making the hairs or lack thereof. On your arms, rise up. Hairlessness. 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 Okay. Uh, let's get into it. <laughs> let's, get into it. 
Let's get into it. Okay, so, so, so. History of body hair removal. Mm -hmm. In, like, ancient history, there's been a lot of, you know, cultural practices involving not having body hair or having a certain kind of body hair or whatever, depending on gender, because, of course, mm -hmm. the, different gen the different genders have different um, hair growth patterns, right? Yep. That's no sh that is no shock to anyone. So, like, for example, ancient Egypt, definitely, you know, there were lotions for it. There was tweezing in Greece. Yep. Which is a horrible way to try to get body hair off of you. So then I saw some different sources about Rome. Mm -hmm. So some sources said in Rome that women removed their body hair, and some men did, but they were seen as kind of dandies, which is their words, which see struck me as strange, a strange way to characterize men in Rome, given all of the gay sex. <laughs> anyway, then some sources said that literally Emperor Augustus, Caesar Augustus, used hot nutshells to Nut burn off his leg hair. Oof. So That doesn't sound like any kind of fun. No, I would recommend that method. But anyway, so people... You know, they take off their hair, they don't, they rub lotion, they pluck it, they dissolve it using ill-fated <laughs> kind of precursors to nair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. You know, and then in medieval Europe, there was kind of backs and forths on it. Getting, like, shaving or getting rid of your pubic hair was seen as, like, a pretty okay thing, especially if you were a peasant, because then you wouldn't get pubic lice as easily. Mm-hmm. Um, underarm hair was, like, not a concern for pretty much anybody at that point, and leg hair, too. But pubic lice, like, I understand why they were worried, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so then, you know, the Victorian era, because, again, most of the stuff in the U.S. has this turning point before, right before World War I. Mm -hmm. So we're in the Victorian era. We're all buttoned up, right? It's all about modesty. So body hair yeah. didn't matter a jot to anybody. Yep. Nobody cares. Because no one's seeing anything except your husband. And, you know, you're already showing him your secret shames or whatever, so <laughs> you're good. Then we, we go into the 20th century. Here's where marketing comes in. So women's magazines, the first one came out in like the 1860s or 70s. And then it was followed immediately by five others. So there were these six like monolithic women's magazines in the U.S. at this time. Mm -hmm. And the founder of one of them has been quoted and is a well-known quote that he said, we're not here to help American women. We're here to help marketers sell to American women. So basically they are there to create needs that they can then, you know, supply the solution for. Yep. So I'm sure you see where I'm going with this. So Gillette was a razor company even back then, and they sold men's razors. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1910s, because, you know, the skirts were getting a, a little shorter, the sleeves were getting shorter and gauzier, especially like for evening wear. It was fashionable to not have sleeves or to have see-through sleeves. Mm -hmm. So Gillette starts this whole underarm campaign starting in the 1910s. They sell razors and they're like, well, you know, all the rich women are already doing it. Um, and you will, you can get rid of unsightly hair on your limbs so that you can wear these kind of short sleeve shirts or whatever without embarrassing yourself when you lift your arms. Yep. Everybody was wearing these shorter sleeves. Mm -hmm. And then Gillette's like, did you know all of the rich women you know are making fun of you because you have hairy, ugly armpits and they've been shaving for an undisclosed amount of time? Because that's definitely true. Because <laughs> it's definitely true. So that's cute of them. Mm -hmm. So that was where underarms started. Yep. But legs were still unshaped. We were still good. And pubes, too. So then we go all the way to World War II, shaving our armpits, but otherwise fine, when the government starts to ration nylon for parachutes and uniforms. 
And nylon is what stockings were made out of, of course, because the skirts had been getting shorter in fashions, but women still wore stockings to cover their legs. And, you know, if you had stockings on, you didn't need to shave your legs because it was covered by the stockings. Pretty much. Now, they couldn't wear stockings because they were needed for the war effort. Interestingly, what came on the market then was this tinted lotion that was the color of stockings that you would paint your legs with to make it look like you were wearing stockings. <laughs> but the people who created that product specifically mentioned in their ads, now this only works if you shave your legs because hair follicles will streak the paint or it'll make it lay funny or it won't dry right. So you really need to go buy a razor and start shaving your legs so you can wear our fake stocking paint. And so that's what women did. They started shaving their legs so that they could... <sighs> They could wear their fake stocking paint more successfully. Yeah. And then, of course, people stopped painting their legs for stockings at all. But then it was even more important to shave your legs because that's what all of the pinup girls were doing. You must hide the shame. Yeah, because pinup girls, you know, they were they were largely painting. So nobody's going to paint in the body hair. So then you look at the pinup girls and you're just like, oh, she doesn't have body hair. Oh, uh, I guess I better not have body hair either. Yeah. Ugh. And even, you know, photographs, like they really were shaving their legs at that point. So... With that, that became, you know, the mark of femininity and female desirability. So that's what everybody had to do. Yep. And then, of course, not long after that, in the 50s, that's when the bikini was introduced, which means, of course, you need to shave your pubes because now you have a bikini on. Yep. It it was the strange catch-22. It's like, women, you're liberated because you can show skin. You don't have to button everything up, but you better remove every every strand of hair, every follicle of hair from every inch of skin you're being allowed to show us. Your skin has to be as smooth as a baby's ass or else shame. Yeah, which is weird. Super weird. Not to mention the weird campaigns, a bunch of campaigns run about how female underarm hair was specifically unhygienic, unhealthy. And, you know, male underarm hair does not have that problem, but specifically female underarm hair has that problem somehow. Hmm. And people still think that like Hmm. today. Like, that idea has stuck around. The double standard is real. Very real. Ugh. What do you think about shaving and body hair for women? God. Okay, so this is another <laughs> one where it's like I have very, like, visceral memories, again, because shaving and body hair got... When my mom found out that I was shaving my legs, which I, I had to go and find my cousin. I had to get my cousin to teach me how to do it because my mom would not. My mom was very... Which is ironic because it's like... I noticed it's like her armpits were hairless, right? Ooh. But she was like, I don't want you. She was like, I don't want you plucking or shaving hair. Like, you know, like there's like all of these downsides. Dude, did your mom ever tell you that shaving made the hair grow back darker? Yes. Yes. My mom told me that too. It's not true. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, it's only true in in that like, if you shave, then like, it won't come back as like light as it would have if you if you'd waxed and pulled out the whole hair because then like the, the, the head It's is... just that the, t- the end is blunt instead of tapered. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And so it's just like, I mean, it makes a tiny difference. So like, whatever. Yeah. Not enough to, for you to tell your kid not to shave because it'll grow back darker. Yeah, exactly. So, like, my mom was like, no, like, you know, you can't do that. And then, like, the first time that she found a razor in my, in my, like, my, like, bathroom, then she, like, threw a freaking hissy fit. She was like, how dare you? What in the world? Like, you know, like, is the body that you were born with not good enough? And I was like, well, societal standards are a thing that exists. And I'm in college and everybody around me is wearing these short, short, short shorts and their legs are shaved and I don't want to stick out. So, Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah, so, like, it's just, I mean, there's, I feel like that's, like, one of the big ones, like, especially for young girls, okay? Young girls is, like, the the pressure to fit in is really, really heavy. And, like, when you're in puberty, that's when all your hair starts growing. That's when your boobs start growing. Of course. So you have to adopt, like, literally all of these trappings of femininity at your, like, lowest point for self-esteem in your teenage mm-hmm. years. It's the worst. Yeah, that's, yeah, when you start to get sexualized and, you know, be exposed to the world as a woman, you know, when you're, like, a junior high student. That's yeah. cute. At, at the time when, again, when your self-esteem is at its lowest point because... Uh-huh. And and you're just like, well, if you don't do a- X, Y, Z, A, B, C, you mm-hmm. are a terrible excuse for a woman. You're not, like, you're not being a real girl. Blah, 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 blah. Boys will never notice you. Mm-hmm. First of all, that's a blessing. I know. <laughs> uh, like, literally, how many times were you told at that age, you know, boys like girls who... Or boys oh, don't like girls who. So many. I read so many Yahoo articles about it. Of course. <laughs> I had to talk with my sister one time about it because I have a sister who's three years older than me, which should make when I started shaving is a little easier. No one taught me, but it's like we shared a bathroom. So I was like, aha, a razor and some shaving cream. Yeah. So I shaved my legs successfully, you know, maybe cut myself once or twice, but it was okay. And then I shaved my pubes against the grain. Oh, no. No one told me because, you know, you shave your legs against the grain. <laughs> It was so painful. Oh, God, that's awful. I'm so sorry. I made that mistake more than once because I didn't know that was the problem. Oh, no. Took a little while. That's, like, the worst one to, like, have somebody take a look at, too. Like, if, you know, like, you can't have some, like, I mean, you can if you have the guts for it. But then it's just like, hey, can you just, like, take a look at my hoo-ha real quick and, like, see what's the problem? Like. Oh, I didn't ask anybody. I just figured, I I Googled it, I think, and eventually figured it out that way. So thank goodness for the internet. Ugh. Although to be fair, the pre the pre pre internet post hairlessness age is only a period of about like, like maybe thirty years. So yeah, hopefully not too many people, you know, hopefully in the grand scheme. People. But yeah, but it's just it's just hairlessness. Uh, I will probably say that this is probably the one that I am laziest about because it's like between like November and like May. Oh yeah. My legs, my legs do not touch a single razor. No, there's no point. Like I'm lazy, but then and so then, which means that like when I finally decide to do it, then I have to go in with the hedge clippers and like you know trim it. Yeah, I gotta go in and and and, and with the hedge clippers and like kind of like try and hack away at some of it before I put my razor through that because otherwise the razor is just gonna like break. That's how thick my hair is. So yeah, just like it's just it's a lot. See, I don't not shave during winter, not because I wouldn't like it. Like, put I. I almost always wear jeans when I go out. So theoretically, I would never have to shave, right? Because I never show my legs. So if I was wanting to blend into society or whatever. Your hair catches on jeans though, doesn't it? Yes. So that's exactly my issue is I would love to never shave, but I have really sensitive skin and really thick body hair. Mm -hmm. So I wear skinny jeans like all the time. So my leg hair gets pulled and Uh. I can't take it. Yeah, it sucks. You know, it, it makes it irritated. It gives me ingrown hairs. Like, mm-mm. It's mm. easier to just shave. Yeah. Ugh. And I actually use an electric razor because my skin is so sensitive that if I just used a straight, like, a razor razor, you know, I yeah. would also get a bunch of razor burn and ingrown hairs and stuff. Yeah, okay. So, actually, let's talk about that real quick. Like, so, okay. So, normally, the, the three most conventional ways to, like, get rid of body hair. Well, there's four, I guess, that you can think of. So, it's, like, you can shave it. Yeah. You can wax it. Yeah. You can pluck it yep. one by one by one, though God knows why we, you would do that for anything other than your eyebrows. Or right. the last one, which is you can use on some parts of your body, which is that you can do the thing where you dissolve it or where you, like, yeah. burn it off, basically. Yes. Uh, so, like, what kind of stuff do you like? Okay, so back when I got my eyebrows waxed, 
they, yes. you know, wax. That's how I did it. Yes. For fun once, because I hated shaving because I just used a razor on my legs. Uh-huh. And I was like, I hate that. I'm just going to pluck it. <laughs> so Oof. I did a little patch and I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. Unacceptable. Yeah. I have never used like the burning like chemical creams. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't hate the idea of them. I just never have because I just use razors. Yeah. So I have tried the hair dissolving chemicals. That, that hurt. It hurts like a motherfucker. Oh. Uh, so I wouldn't recommend it for you with your sensitive skin. Yeah. I mean, I might try it like on a toe and see if I can, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I honestly, it's like, it's a shame because like if I didn't like hate how much waxing hurts, like I would mm-hmm. use it like on my legs. You know, I actually had a whole summer where I grew out all of my body hair. Like, I just didn't shave at all. Mm -hmm. So I had fully grown out leg hair, and I have dark body hair and light skin. Yeah. And then I, you know, like, my bush was fully grown out, bikini line was grown out, and I have pretty thick hair, like, on my inner thighs. Uh Uh-huh. Which I didn't used to, but that's PCOS. And then, yeah, my armpit hair I grew out, because I just spent a summer. I was like, okay, so what's what's it like, you know? Yeah. And this would be a great time because... I don't have to wear skinny jeans. Yep. If I could dig up anything else in my closet. And so that went okay. Like, I definitely got some surprise reactions. Like, if I was at a pool with my family, you know, my mom was like, whoa, it's fine. I just didn't know your body hair was like that. And I was like, yeah, I didn't either. And that's before I knew I had PCOS, see? Uh Uh-huh. But what did happen was I visited my sister who is married to an officer in the army. Uh Uh-huh. And socialized with their neighbors one time like we were sitting out back and I had some shorts on Mm -hmm. and I'm kind of oblivious but then when we back inside she was like dude he could not stop staring at your legs and I was like uh I guess that's nice like I don't work out so that's weird and she's like no because they're hairy he looked really weirded out and I was like oh okay screw him then whatever (laughs) so I successfully weirded out a sexist good but then I had to shave it all off because my armpits were just getting too torn up because women's shirts have really tiny armholes and it was pulling at all the armpit hair so i had to shave it for my own comfort uh, it's the worst it's the worst uh i feel like that about covers it shall we move on to the verdict yeah let's do that Lindsay, in your opinion what is the worst physical trapping of femininity i am torn because they all suck <laughs> that's very true shall we talk about it I want to I want to give you a definitive answer but you know to be clear they all suck. Yes. I think overall the one that it impacts me that I hate the most is kind of hairlessness cuz that's a constant struggle. Yeah, but I think overall I got to say it's option A makeup just because of the cost. Yeah. The financial cost to women that yeah. men do not have to shoulder. That's very true. Yeah. Cuz obviously they all suck and they all are tied into society. And, like, underwear, lingerie is also expensive, but you don't go through it as fast as you go through makeup. So, Uh yes, my answer is A, makeup. Yeah. What about you? I think, I mean, I think, I think I'm going to agree with you with makeup just in terms of, and the cost, not, not, for me, it's not the monetary cost, but it's the time cost, it's the opportunity Uh, cost. Because I don't mind makeup, like, I buy a lot of it, but then I never use it because it's such a time sink. You yes, know, you have to it like there's so much goes in, so much goes into like the maintenance because you have to maintain not just like the makeup, you not just putting on and taking off makeup all the, all the time, but you also have to like maintain your face and make sure the pH of your skin is OK and make sure like all of that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, you have to like you have to cleanse and wash and all of this stuff just like just to keep the the make make sure the makeup doesn't impact your face too much like you have to 
do all of this stuff. You have to mm-hmm. kind of, you know, experiment with different products and everything like that, not to mention the, pro- the cost of them. And then the monetary cost is really high. So, yeah. like, it's such a sink of time and money. Yes. But also, you have, again, also, like, the, like, social costs are high. You know, mm-hmm. f- especially if you work in the service industry. The social cost is yes. really high if you don't wear makeup because you don't look as put together or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, don't you love that thing of, like, you look sick. Yeah. And it's just like, no, this is just my face. Yeah. It's what your face looks like all the time, Brad. Yeah. And so it's that whole thing. And like makeup is really obvious double standard. Like, I mean, and then like they have the whole thing where they're just like, I'm sure that it's still going around the interwebs these days. Although last time that I saw it, it it's like, you know, some, you know, guys will be like, oh, but like she's wearing a full face of makeup to hide all of her stuff. And like they want somebody Uh, who looks effortlessly beautiful. Yes. You know, and this is like, it's like, it's like, oh, first date take her swimming, you know, so like to wash off all the makeup. You know, on that note. I, I guess not bras or hairlessness, but makeup and high heels both had legislation that was attempted to be passed that, you know, outlawed entrapping a man into marriage by use of those means and that they were be, they would be punishable the same way that witchcraft was. Which is like as talented as makeup artists are. They are they're not witches. No. OK, they just. Yeah. Ugh, anyway. OK, now that we've gotten that out of our systems. Right. Well, sort of. It's still, I'm still angry, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do for the meme of the week, Lindsay? Uh, the meme of the week this week, I thought it'd be fun if we assigned each of these answer choices as a horseman of the apocalypse. Oh, I love that. Okay. Nice. <laughs> All right. So starting with, uh, let's say, war. I think we had to give it to high heels. They started as a, you know, military shoe. Yeah. And not to mention, you could kill a man with them. You sure could. Stilettos. It's literally named after a knife. If you have the right kind, like like if you have chunky heels, brain them. Go yes. straight for the go straight for, and, and okay. Before the before we get in trouble for endorsing, <laughs> uh, so we have war. Then what's next? Famine. Yes. Hairlessness. That's what I was thinking, and I'll tell you why. It's kind of like makeup is to make you seem youthful, but also healthy, right? Yes. Glowing bras and underwear. You want curves. Hairlessness though is to fully. Act like you are prepubescent, and you know what delays the onset of puberty? Hunger. Yep. And I don't know, because it's also the one that's about having a lack of something. That's true. You know? Yep. Yeah. So then you said um, makeup is supposed to make you look healthy. Yeah. Um, so let's, so I'm going to say that that one is uh, pestilence. You know, you use it to hide imperfections and you use it to like, you know, like to literally sometimes people use it to ward off disease and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's just like. Not you know, to mention makeup is the one of these four that will definitely bring you the most pox. It will. Yeah. Like if you don't clean your skin, it will definitely break you out. And that yep. is a sign of pestilence. Yeah. And so that leaves bras and underwear as death, I guess. <laughs> Which, you know what? I get it. You know? Yeah. Uncomfortable lingerie feels like death. Yeah. And it's like if you have the wrong kind of lingerie, if it doesn't fit you, especially with bras, if it doesn't fit you properly, death. Earlier death. Not to mention, uh, death is a constant. And all of these, as we mentioned when we were discussing um, underwear. That's true. All these other ones you can kind of do or not do. And there's different societal backlash. But like you need bras and underwear. Yeah. Like death and taxes. You need bras and underwear. Ugh. See, we just we just had that one left over as the default one, but it secretly works. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm very proud of us. Good job, us. Yeah, so please check out our Twitter, Pixie Podcast, to find the poll that has gone up, and you can tell us what you think is the worst trapping of modern femininity in the West. 
If you think that we left out a really important choice, you can definitely add us there. Uh, feel free to yell at us on Twitter about that. Also, be sure to check out our Tumblr, which is pixiepodcast.tumblr.com, to see our show notes, where we will link interesting articles and further reading, and uh, you know, just generally some of the stuff that didn't make it into this episode, that went into the making of this episode. And finally, if you're interested in having more content from us, please check out our Patreon, which is also Pixie Podcast there, because that's where we upload our um, bloopers and outtakes. So yeah, if you're interested in that, please check it out. This episode was written by us, Lindsay Jones and Sophie Lee. Our audio production is by Elisha Bonnet, and our music is by the wonderfully talented David Hillowitz. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.